Welcome to Necronominom. I'm Jenna. And I'm Matt. This is a film review podcast where we focus on horror and cult films because we like them. Today we're going to be talking about The Ninth Gate. Mm-hmm. It's a 1999 film directed by Roman Polanski. It stars Johnny Depp as a rare book dealer who's been given the task of verifying these three remaining copies of a satanic text. Mm. Do you want to run us a bit through the plot, Matt? Sure. After the suicide of a uh, well-known book collector called Andrew Telfer, a man named Boris Balkin comes into possession of one of three surviving copies of this book that is supposed to contain rituals that will summon the devil. And for some reason, he's suspicious that only one of the three copies is actually genuine. So he hires Dean Corso, played by the handsome Johnny Depp, to investigate the remaining two copies and give him a report on which one he thinks is the legit copy. So that's the that's the, the gist of it. Um, throughout the film, the three copies of the books are referred to by the name of the person who owns them. So you've got the Telfer copy, the Vargas copy, and the Kessler copy. Uh, and even though they yeah. kind of change hands, different people get hold of them throughout the film. They just kind of refer to them by by those names, which is quite helpful. Actually, yeah, the Telfer copy is actually about 50% of the time referred to as the Balkan copy because he's the current owner. But most other book collectors know it as the Telfer copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we are going to go into a bit of spoilers. It's time for some spoilers. <laughs> um, but seriously, we're going to talk about spoilers. So if you haven't watched this movie yet, turn the podcast off now. So if you haven't seen this film, Maybe don't listen. <laughs> it's a terrific <laughs> film. Yeah, I, so I love it. This is like one of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen it, go see it because mm-hmm. we are going to get quite in depth into it. Yeah, um, it's not it's not a horror film uh, in the traditional sense. It's more of a kind of mystery detective th- mystery. Yeah, like a thriller, but it's got supernatural elements to it and i mean there is murder and and some other stuff in it and it it does have a horror theme yeah i think so too it's um i mean it's directed by polanski he's known Mm -hmm. for making horror yeah it's got a creepy vibe it's creepy Mm -hmm. like roman polanski's creepy (laughs) (laughs) yeah so if if you don't want it spoiled maybe turn back now (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but watch it and then come back. And then yeah, come back. come back because we're going to go into a lot of um, the engraving scene in this film, and I think it gives it a whole new level to it. Yeah, because I didn't know any of this stuff before watching it the first time. I watched this when I was quite young, mm-hmm. and I really liked it, but I didn't. I guess I didn't fully understand it. Sure. So now, especially now that I've you know done so much research into it. I feel like I have a, a whole new understanding of it. It's based on a book, um, we should mention as well, called The Club Dumas. And I don't know if, you know, they did all the research themselves or what was just taken directly from the book because I haven't read the book. But they did obviously recreate certain things for the film and they must have gone to some effort because, you know, I don't, I don't know that the book actually had the prints and the engravings and things in it. So. Yeah, right. Mm. So to go further into the plot, Dean Corso, uh, Johnny Depp, starts by visiting a pair of book restorers in Spain, the Senzia brothers, the twins. He finds out that of the nine engravings in the Balkan copy, um, three of them are signed LCF, which is taken to be Lucifer, uh, rather than the author, Torchia. 
When he investigates the next copy, the Fargus copy, he discovers that there are a different set of three engravings signed LCF, and the same goes with the Baroness Kessler's copy. So in total, there's nine signed by LCF. Three different ones in each book. Through the film, Corso is pursued by Liana Telfer, who is the wife of the original owner of the the Balkan copy, the gentleman who commits suicide at the start of the film. Yeah, it kind of turns out that it was her book all along, and I think Mm -hmm. she was just using him for his money to collect books and whatever. Yeah, so she's kind of an antagonist uh, in a way. Others become antagonists later. Uh, But also he is accompanied and assisted by a mysterious woman who kind of shows up at one point. Uh, and She's never given a name. No, you don't know who she is. Uh, she kind of subtly displays some kind of supernatural powers at times. Yeah, her eyes glow and she does this floating thing. And every time mm. it's kind of, you're like, "What? did I just see that? Yeah. Yeah, the second time you watch it, I think it's quite obvious. But I think the, the first time, because it, it's very grounded and there's not a whole lot of supernatural stuff happens and then they're very quick shots when it does happen. And so I think the first time you watch it, you kind of go, wait, what was that? What just happened? Yeah. Cause I was looking for it this time. I was like, mm. how did I think I was dreaming last time I saw this? Yeah. Because there's the part uh, where Corso is fighting with Telfer's bodyguard yeah. and the mysterious woman just kind of floats down the stairs, but it happens so quickly. Like, did she just flow? Yeah. She walks off the side and glides down the rest of the way. And it's like, wait, that was weird. Yeah, because at no other point is there anything supernatural happening. Mm. Yeah, I like that it's subtle. I yeah. like it. I like that a lot. Yeah, because it makes you want. Is is is? Did he just imagine that? Is that why? I- yeah, because it seems like he's kind of going crazy throughout the yeah, investigation. Right. Mm-hmm. So most of the investigation centers around these engravings that are in the book, and it seems like um, a lot of the the actual book itself, the text. Uh, is kind of um, not irrelevant, but the, the the engravings seem to represent the important aspects, I guess, of uh, of the message the book's conveying. Yeah, and I think a whole lot of work went into these engravings. Mm-hmm. They they look like they could have been taken from a religious text. Yeah, totally. Like straight from it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that would make you think otherwise is that some of the people in the engravings resemble characters from the film. Yeah. And I don't know that you would notice that at first. No. But, but on further viewing, yeah, they do. No, especially if you're not. I have a picture of them here. But if you're just watching the film, you probably wouldn't notice. Yeah, totally. Uh, there's one that you would, but we'll talk about yeah. it later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think to really understand them, you have to have a basic understanding of dualism and theology. Mm-hmm. So the film is filled with symbolism and they've done a lot of work to make sure that, you know, everything fits the the pictures in the engravings and mm-hmm. that the filming locations were actual points of religious history. Yeah, they're significant to the story. Not They're not just places that looked good. Right. Yeah, it's interesting how they did that. Yeah, so the castle that they use as kind of the crux of the, the whole film and everything. It's the Chateau de Pouvert in southern France. This actual castle, like in real life, was used to practice this religion called Catharism, which was a dualist religious movement that split off from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, it was led by aesthetic priests who strove for enlightenment through the absence of material possessions, which is kind of what this film is about. Yeah, totally. So they thought that you could only achieve spirituality by dismissing worldly pleasures. 
and they believed that there were two gods, one good and one evil, who was mm. Satan. Um, I don't believe at that time that Satan was, you know, how people see him now. He wasn't like this evil yeah. thing. It was more of a different type of god. Yeah, they t- treat him kind of both ways in the film because obviously Satan is is a bad guy in uh, kind of modern mythology. But um, in, in the mythology of the film, I think the idea is not so much that he's good and he's bad and therefore that's he bad should be dismissed it's more this duality where the world contains good and evil and both are necessary for balance yeah exactly yeah yep it's more like the garden of eden where satan wasn't bad he was just the one who was leading them to knowledge rather than ignorance uh which is seen in this film where like satan or lucifer leads them to enlightenment yeah, it's similar to the ancient legend about Prometheus who stole the fire from Zeus to give it to the humans in, in Christian mythology, Satan, well, I mean, in certain Christian mythologies, not all, but in the one that, that is relevant for this film, um, Lucifer stole uh, knowledge from God and gave it to the humans and he was punished. Right, because he didn't think that it should be held just for the gods. Right, he loved the, he loved the humans. Which yep. is, yeah, so it's a little different to how, you know, people talk about him today. Yeah, all the symbolism in this is not necessarily good versus evil. It's it's kind of a balance between the two. So dualism uh, is defined as the religious doctrine that the universe contains opposing powers of good and evil, especially seen as balanced equals. That's like from the dictionary. Some examples of this are God versus the devil, as we were just talking about, up and down, which is where heaven and hell are known to be located, Mm -hmm. Uh, black versus white and left versus right, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a side note, in Latin, the word for left is sinistra, which means sinister or evil. (laughs) So it was kind of all like anything on the right side was good. Being left-handed was seen as bad. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So you see this a lot through this film. Um, it's in it's in all of the engravings. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people miss that kind of stuff, that kind of thing in this film as well. Like, there's so much of it, and I, I get, I don't know. I think people miss a lot of it. Yeah, so. absolutely, because you don't really see the engravings up close that much. Yeah. yeah, a few times you do when he's looking at them, but not enough that you can study them yourself. Yeah, but even characters, like the appearance of characters represents the duality as well. That's like right. It's, it's very interesting. And yeah, yeah, I think most people would miss it, but I like that it's there to find. Yeah. Like, for mm. instance, uh, the bodyguard of Liana Telfer is a black man with bleach blonde hair. Yeah. So, listeners, if you can find yourself some photos of these, mm-hmm. uh, it might help to be looking at them, but we'll do our best to describe them so yeah. you don't have to see them. So, the first one... Mm-hmm. Uh, depicts a knight on a horse, and he's got his fingers up to his lips in the shh, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a castle in the distance. In the Torchia copy, in the Torchia copy, there are four towers on the castle, mm-hmm. and in the Lucifer copy, there are three. Mm-hmm. And uh, the castle closely resembles the Chateau du Pevere, so yeah. I, I imagine that that's, that's what that is, because <laughs> that was seen quite a lot in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, it... it- I'd say they obviously would have done that on purpose. Yep. So that's the ultimate goal. That's the ninth gate. We mentioned that the theme of leaving behind the material is is a big part of the film. And the number of towers and, and things like that represent that as well in a way. Because mm-hmm. 
Uh, the number four is could be said to represent the physical because you've got like the points of the compass and the four elements and they're all kind of physical things. Yeah, it's like the material world. Yeah. Uh, whereas the number three could be thought of as more spiritual, representing things like the Holy Trinity and mind, body, spirit and more kind of existential yep. uh, concerns. Right. So um, when you look at it from that point of view, the the incorrect uh, panel contains the four towers, the physical realm. Right, which is the Torchia copy. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Lucifer's copy, Lucifer's uh, engraving, contains three, which indicates you should be more concerned with spiritual affairs. Yeah, so it's saying to stay on the path of enlightenment, you have mm-hmm. to let go of your earthly possessions. Mm-hmm. So again, you you wouldn't get that from just watching the film, but it but it is there, which is what I like so much about the film. Like, yeah, exactly. You don't need to know it, but it's cool if you do. <laughs> that panel is called Silence is Golden. So the next engraving is called Open That Which is Closed. Mm-hmm. It has an old man with keys in his hand standing in front of a locked door. Um, there's a lantern in front of him and a black dog. Mm-hmm. And next to him is a symbol, which is the Hebrew letter for teth which means knowledge, and it represents the serpent or temptation. I was looking into this one. This one I actually found a bunch of interesting stuff. Keys are often represented in pairs in mythology. Yep. Um, One gold, which represents power in the heavens, and one silver, which represents spirituality on earth. So like St. Peter and the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Um, And every pope is given and buried with a symbolic set of gold and silver keys, which is actually really, really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. I found that out while researching this as well. Yeah. So in this engraving, in the Lucifer copy, the keys are in the left hand, whereas in the Torchia copy, um, the keys are in his right hand. So normally, um, I guess you would think left, bad, right, good. Mm. But as we were talking about before, it's not really as clear as that because they can kind of switch around because of the balance of good and evil. Mm -hmm. The left hand path was the path away from God. Right. Not that you're anti-spirituality, but you are on the path to Satan or enlightenment. Right. To knowledge. There is a black dog represented in this one, which is an animal in mythology that often represents the devil or a kind of an evil force. Um, uh, Faust is a very good example of that because the devil appears as a black poodle. Okay. And uh, and Dracula, obviously. Right, yeah. He... he turns into a dog. You can become a wolf for a dog, yeah. Yeah. There's another thing I thought was really interesting about this panel when I found, I, I was reading about it, the lantern uh, and and the old man and the dog all point to a representation of this ancient philosopher called uh, Diogenes, I think. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, or Diogenes. <laughs> Diogenes. 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 <laughs> he was the founder or the very first uh, cynic and he despised worldly power. Apparently, he was a massive pain in the ass. He wandered okay. around uh, in the daytime with a lantern, a lit lantern, yeah, walking around the bazaars and everywhere, like shining this lantern. When people asked him what he was doing, he would say, I'm looking for an honest man. I can't find one anywhere. Well, as everyone, in there aren't any. Yeah, and everyone would be like, shut up, Diogenes. <laughs> Um, and he used to follow around um, some other famous philosophers and kind of, you know, 
or lick up their scraps. Uh, people used to like say a dog, about him, right? Like a dog. Yeah, they used to call him dogged in his pursuit of enlightenment. And he's often depicted in paintings and statues with a dog, uh, or or as a dog. Okay. Um, in a similar manner to the character in this engraving. So. All right. So the third engraving called mm-hmm. "Wasted Breath Keeps a Secret" has a traveler about to cross a bridge over water with an angel above him with an arrow pointing down. Mm-hmm. In the Lucifer copy, the bowman has a second arrow. One is loaded, ready to shoot, and the other one is in his quiver, pointing up. Mm-hmm. In the Torchia copy, the bowman has one arrow, which is loaded and ready to shoot. Yep. So the bridge uh, can be taken to represent the path to transcendence into the spiritual realm. It's like a representation of... Um, Crossing of, the water. and Yeah. Um, the cherub, or the bowman, who looks just like the Sinitza brothers, the mm-hmm. brothers from Spain, the two um, restorers of books. Mm-hmm, the twins. Yeah. He serves as a warning to those who try to kind of transcend. Mm-hmm. This is mirrored in the film when Corso leaves the brothers and some scaffolding falls down on him. Mm. The other thing represented in Lucifer's copy uh, with the two arrows, one pointing up and one pointing down is the dualism again. So one points downwards and one points upwards showing the dual nature of things. Right. In the fourth one, chance is not the same for all. It has a jester about to go into a maze and he's got some dice next to him. Mm-hmm. In the Lucifer version, in the Lucifer version, the path out of the maze is open. In the Torchio version, it's blocked. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an interesting note here in that I don't think that there is a way to solve this maze regardless of which one you're looking at. <laughs> right. I, I don't think that there's a way out. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Of either a, one, which a, I'm not sure if that was an oversight or... Um, yeah, just glancing at it, it looks like it's quite blocked off yeah. near the start. So, oh, Look know. at the end. It's blocked off near the end. There's no way out. I always do yeah. mazes backwards. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the idea is that in Lucifer's copy, the, the exit is open. Um, so, you know, his is the, the correct path, I guess. Right. Um, the dice add up to the, the number 666. There are three die. And the top number on each is a three, a two, and a one, mm-hmm. which adds up to six. On each die, the numbers that you can see are three, two, and one, which are three sixes. Yeah. Um, the jester carries a staff, which, uh, and it's kind of curved in, in a representation sort of of a serpent, um, which is a common theme in mythology. Uh, and also jesters or fools in the Middle Ages were tasked with reminding their masters that they were mortal. So if the king got a bit too too high and mighty, the jester was there to remind him that death was inevitable for him as well. I didn't know that that was true. I mean... Well, my, least, my research told me that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I knew that the jester was, you know, supposed to sample the food and make sure it wasn't poison in that, but I, I didn't mm-hmm. know that that was their mortality. Like, the reminder of mortality was their purpose. Yeah, I, well, that's what it said. I mean, I mean, I've heard definitely about, you know, like uh, Memento Mori and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, people being reminded uh, is particularly in, in a lot of philosophy, very important. Like the Stoics and, and all those guys used to say, who's he? I think they used to have people follow them around, the Stoics, to just to kind remind of them. tap them on the shoulder and say, oh, by the way, you're going to die. 
Oh man, um, I would fire that guy. Like, yeah, dude, I, I know, I got it. <laughs> well, you hide him. <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of uh, to keep you grounded, I guess. Yeah, because so, there are more important things than whatever particular thing is annoying you right now. I guess is right. the point. So, listeners, this makes clowns even more scary. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So not only that, the jester has a two-pointed hat, a dual-peaked hat. It's just so much. I know, and also his left leg is straight while his right leg is bent, the way he's standing. And what does that signify? Well, uh, I don't know if it's actually significant, but you could take it as the left path is the straight path, as in the the correct path and the Mm -hmm. the right-hand path uh, is is bent. If we take it the way we took it earlier, the left path being Lucifer's path and the right path being, being God's path. Right. Okay. But again, that could be, that could be going overboard <laughs> with the uh, symbolism. <laughs> well, that does happen in a later, later engraving. So yeah, cool. The next one uh, titled in vain shows a merchant counting his gold while the grim reaper death stands behind him, holding both an hourglass and a pitchfork. In Lucifer's copy, the hourglass has emptied all the time, all the, all the sand has run through, whereas in Torchia's copy, the hourglass has just begun. It's still, the top is still full. So uh, kind of representing, in, in Lucifer's copy, time's run out, whereas in Torchia's copy, it's just begun. Right. It's kind of another reminder that you don't need material possessions mm-hmm. on the path to enlightenment. Yep. They're, they're irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is titled I Enrich Myself with Death, which I think is a wonderful title. Yeah. Um, it depicts a hanged man, hanged by the foot, not mm-hmm. by the neck, as we would normally say a hanged man. Uh, similar to the, to the way they show the hanged man in tarot cards. Yeah, he looks very peaceful. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of chilling out there. He doesn't look particularly worried. Mm-hmm. Um, his hands are behind his back. It's unclear whether they're tied or not, but he's kind of chilling out, so... It doesn't really matter. Um, and he's hung from one foot uh, from from the kind of the, the, the castle wall and um, a hand is coming out of a window nearby holding a flaming sword. So in the Torchia copy, the man is hanging from his right foot, whereas in Lucifer's copy, he is hanging from his left foot, which follows with that... The gesture you know, that we were just... Yeah, the left-right kind of mm-hmm. thing we were, we were discussing yeah, and the other one is bent. Oh, yeah, the the other yeah, the leg that's not tied that he's not hanging from is yeah bent behind the other. So, yeah, that symbolism follows on. <laughs> so this uh this death is mirrored in the film. Yes. At the beginning of the film, Corso gives the, the book to his friend Bernie, who's a bookkeeper, mm-hmm. to kind of keep it safe because he thinks that people might be after him for it. Um, and when he goes to pick the book up, he finds that Bernie is dead. And he's hung yeah. from his leg in this manner. Disturbing. Yeah. So he's he's the first death in this film. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of what sets Corso out on his path. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the 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 image can be taken, I guess, one of two ways. Um, for somebody on the right hand path, the hanged man and the sword kind of serve as a warning, something to be afraid of. Whereas someone on the left path. Um, the light represents a guide, and the man hanging uh, is pretty chill. He's not doesn't look too worried. So um, it kind of represents that there's nothing to be afraid of. That death doesn't necessarily have to be a scary thing. 
Right. And that's how Bernie was killed on the left foot. Yes. And so presumably uh, Corso takes it as a uh, a guide rather than a warning. Mm-hmm. All right. Now hang with us, guys. There are three more. Three more. Yeah. The next one is called The Disciple Outshines the Master. It depicts uh, two guys. A king and a peasant. Yep. A king and a, a beggar looking dude uh, playing chess against each other at a, at a little table. Uh, it's got some other stuff happening in it as well. But um, presumably the king symbolizes God and the beggar symbolizes man. Mm-hmm. And in this game, they're equal. Right. Because it appears the beggar is about to win. And behind them are two dogs fighting a black and a white one, which is kind of mirroring the game. Mm-hmm. Black and white, good and evil. Um, one should not be valued over the other, but both are essential. And in, in, in certain things, man and God can be equal. Right. In the Lucifer version, um, the chessboard is totally white. Mm-hmm. And in the Torchio version, it's totally black. So it's another way of just saying that they are equals. Yeah. Because there's no checkerboard. It's just all one solid color. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of equality and kind of dualism equality. in this one. Um, the next one, Virtue is Conquered. This is number eight. So this one has uh, a man on his knees, a kind of a beggar looking man on his knees in front of a castle. Uh-huh. while a knight stands behind him with a mace ready to strike. Um, behind them, there is a wheel. It looks like a yarn spinning wheel with three people on it. In the Lucifer version, the knight has a halo around his head, and the Torchia mm-hmm. version, he doesn't. Yeah. So these two people represent, like literally represent Balkan and Corso because <laughs> their faces are exactly the same as them. They're drawn after the characters. In this, Balkan is attacking Corso. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in one, he is uh, sort of, uh, in Lucifer's version, he has a halo. He is uh, a guardian. Lucifer as the guiding light or the light bringing morning star. That is what Lucifer means. The one with the halo is seen more as a protector because Lucifer guides and shares his secrets with people who seek the truth or enlightenment, mm-hmm. but he's the enemy of the ephemeral. So right. only the people who are worthy are allowed to pass. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more of a judgment before the final stage. Yes. Um, the wheel in the background I discovered represents the wheel of fate or samsara slash suffering and the three figures are the three stages of suffering. Renyo, meaning I reign. Renavi, meaning I reigned. And Renyabo, meaning I will reign. And so now we come to the final engraving, uh, of which there are actually three in the film, I guess, because... Yeah, it depicts a woman holding a book sitting on top of a seven-headed beast, kind of like a dragon in front of a castle. The castle is... Similar to the Chateau de Pouvert. Uh-huh. It is absolutely that castle in this picture. Um, and the woman is the unnamed guide of Corso. Yeah. So in the Lucifer version, coming from behind the castle is sunlight. Mm-hmm. In the other two false versions, this is including, this is the Tortio version and the Sinitza brother version. 
who we find out has uh, forged another copy so that nobody could go on the dangerous path. Mm-hmm. There are flames in the back of the castle. Yeah. When Corso finally finds all nine, what he believes to be true panels mm-hmm. and Balkan takes them from him. He finally thinks that he has achieved the true meaning of the book and that he can bring Lucifer to light kind of he can resurrect him right which is kind of false like you find out that Balkan has been doing it for you know material power and he's not on the true path it seems like nobody in the film really quite knows what the book's supposed to do which i think is kind of interesting because that's right they all religious stuff is like that like they don't really know what the point of it is but they've they're just really obsessed with it right they all just want to call satan yeah, because they think they're going to become more powerful or something mm-hmm. like that. Which mm-hmm. and, it, and it turns out that's not what it's about. No, not at all. Mm. So Corso is really the only pure of heart person in this, and he's not yeah. like he's not a great honest person or anything like that. He's just the only one who seeks knowledge yeah. rather than power. Exactly, and that's that's all little Lucifer wants. Right. So the woman or the guide of Corso draws similarities to the whore of Babylon mm-hmm. um, as she or it, because there is some speculation that the whore of Babylon is actually a city, but in revelations it's quoted. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. The, the beast depicted in the, in the engraving seems to fit the bill. Um, and also there is a woman Riding on the back. And the woman, as we mentioned, looks exactly like Corso's companion. And he enacts the final ritual by having sex with her outside the castle. Yep. While it's all while it's burning. Mm-hmm. So he kind of enacts the, the incorrect versions of it. Right. Which and then he, is his, like his final test. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the ending is supposed to represent, it's him coming back in the morning, right? Yeah, he comes back when the the fire's gone and the sun is rising behind the castle, like in the mm-hmm. original Lucifer version. Yeah, and then the door opens and then we assume that he reaches enlightenment. Yeah, so he ascends from the Kingdom of Shadows, which was Earth all along. Spoilers. His people think that that's hell. Certain denominations of Christianity that believe that, um, you know, like hell is absence from God and mm-hmm. that's what we're in now and so this is hell. Yeah, yeah, totally. So thanks for sticking with us through all yeah. of those engravings. Um, I find them really interesting. And if you can look up what they look like and maybe watch the movie again now that you've heard all of this, mm. it brings a whole new meaning to everything. We could, there's some other interesting points just about the film. Um, the number 666 comes up a lot. It's, uh, it's the elevator code at the beginning of the film that Balkan uses to get to the floor where he keeps his books. And it's also the the passcode to open the door to the kind of safe that they're in. I feel like that's pretty poor on his <laughs> I part. I agree. Like yeah. if, if you wanted to break into a Satanist, I mean, he's keeping this book. They're one of three in the world and he knows that people are after it. Yeah. He's a collects a, bu- a bunch of books about the devil. Yeah, exactly. And all his password for everything is six, six, six. Like uh, that's pretty easy to break into. <laughs> it's cool for the film, but yeah. That's uh, that's a terrible password. It is cool because it's not a thing that is uh, 
clear. Yeah, they don't draw attention to it. Like, you just kind of have to watch his finger press the button and know yeah. what a keypad looks like to know where, where he's Yeah, pressing. they don't draw any attention to it. If you didn't, if you didn't know that's how a keypad was laid out or, if, mm-hmm. or what 666 was, you wouldn't even notice. But yeah. it's, it's an interesting little point. Um, a thing about this movie that really makes me angry is that everybody smokes, which, mm-hmm. f- fine, they smoke over rare books. They smoke in libraries. <laughs> yeah. It drives me insane. Yeah. It's like those old cop shows when they're like, oh, it's a murder scene. We'll never find them. And then they light up right there. <laughs> yeah, they draw attention to it a couple of times because when he visits the two brothers, uh, one of them is smoking and ashes all over the cover of the book and just kind of brushes it off and they don't seem to care. But then when he's at... Um, With the Baroness, she yeah, yells Kessler's- at him. Yeah, she yells at him because he goes to light a cigarette and she says, not in here. It's kind of a, a very Polanski uh, kind of thing. Everybody smokes because it's kind of a European cool thing to do. Yeah. it's. I'd be lying if I said Johnny Depp's character in this had no influence on my smoking <laughs> back when I smoked. I don't smoke anymore, listeners, and you shouldn't either. <laughs> no, yeah. let's do our death count. Yeah. So not a great, well, not a, not a high death count in this, but they're all very... Um, Dramatic deaths, yeah. which I guess, you know, maybe makes them count a bit more. Do you want to run us through? Yeah. So I lied when I said that the book dealer was the first death. The first mm. death is actually Andrew Telfer, the owner, right. the original owner of the Balkan copy. Mm-hmm. He hangs himself in his library. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he dies, actually, his left shoe comes off, which symbolizes him abandoning his physical body for spirituality. Ooh. I wonder if that'll happen to me. <laughs> when you hang yourself. Well, I mean, no, no, no. I just mean however I die. Right, okay. <laughs> um, the second death is Bernie the book dealer, who, as mm-hmm. we said before, was hung by his left leg, according to the sixth engraving, uh, the mm-hmm. Lucifer, Luciferian, Luciferian, <laughs> whatever. Luciferian. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a Jamaican. <laughs> <laughs> the third death is Fargus, one mm-hmm. of the owners of the copies. Yeah. He is drowned outside of his house by an unknown assailant who we can take to be Balkan, I guess. It seems like he's kind of following um, Corsa around and cleaning up after him. Yeah, I think um, either Balkan or someone hired by him. Yeah. Yeah. The next one is the Baroness Kessler, another owner of a copy. Yeah. She is strangled in her home and then her library is set on fire. Hmm. Which is a bummer yeah. because her book is there too. Um, the next death is Liana Telfer, the wife of the original owner of the Balkan copy. Mm-hmm. She has a satanic orgy ritual thing <laughs> that she does once a year. Um, yeah. Classic. It, yeah. Yeah. And when Balkan and Corso infiltrate this, um, <laughs> she is strangled. Yeah. It's a weird thing because it seems like she's really not even a threat. Yeah, she's just kind of an idiot. Well, uh, sorry, she's a threat to Corso because she's kind of after him, but she's not really a threat to the whole enlightenment slash raising Satan thing. Yeah, she doesn't seem to have any understanding of of what's going on, the actual importance of anything. She just seems like a jaded old woman who likes, you know, this kind of had this dark side. 
And because she even says that she's, she says at one point that she's too old for her orgy days are over. Is that what she says? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it seems very jaded and disinterested. And the last death is Boris Balkin. (laughs) He sets himself on fire during his ritual um, when he's in the castle. I don't think we said this before, but because he has the false version of the last engraving, he sets himself on fire. Yeah, he thinks that's what he's supposed to do. Mm. It's not, not quite clear why why he jumps to that conclusion, but I guess because he sees the castle in flames, he thinks yeah. that it's like a kind of like a phoenix that he will come back, right? All powerful. Um, he does not, and that it's like a cleansing by fire. Mm-hmm. No, no, he does not. <laughs> and that's no. all. So there are only six deaths. Yeah, unless well, it depends on how we interpret Johnny Depp's. Ascendance at the end. He- I wouldn't say that's a death. I think it's no. more of like the gaining of knowledge. Yeah. So that's our review. Well, more of a in-depth look into the ninth gate. Um, both of us really like this film. If you haven't seen it, I guess watch it anyway, because you'll get a lot out of it, even with this whole discussion. But yeah, it's still, it's a really good movie. I think it's a, Interesting film, even if you don't want to go that far into it, but if you do delve into it, there's there's more there. Mm-hmm. So if you're into that kind of thing. If you want to get in touch with us, um, you can give us some feedback on our show mm-hmm. because it is new and we would love some feedback. Um, yeah. Or you can suggest some movies that we could watch. Yeah, we do um, We do schlock and, and other kinds of films too. We don't just want to talk about this kind of thing. So Yeah, um, lots of horror. Actually, I'd I'd prefer something that is just like a bloodbath because right. this was a whole lot of effort to prepare. <laughs> and we we really would prefer to be able to phone it in next time. So. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I was not ready for the amount of work I had to do to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> to collect this into a format that was somewhat... There was a lot of research on this yeah. one. I don't, I don't want to have to do as, many, as much research next time. Yeah. So if you want to suggest a movie that's just a slaughter... I am, I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So shoot us an email, uh, necronomenom at multiple nerdgasm.com, mnerdgasm on Twitter, Facebook, multiple nerdgasm. Uh, we're all over the place. Yeah. So we are an offshoot of multiple nerdgasm. So if you haven't listened to that, go do that too. Yeah. Subscribe, like. If you did enjoy the show, um, hop on to iTunes and you can give us a five star, five star rating. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it just, it really helps us get noticed. So that would be really cool of you guys. Four stars is okay, I guess. It's okay, but five is better. Our best friends give us five star reviews. This episode is brought to you by Fiverr. Go to multiplenerdgasm.com slash Fiverr. That's with two R's. And you can get some really cool stuff done for just $5. Check it out. Multiplenerdgasm.com slash Fiverr. See you next time. Goodbye.